From the Multiply family of churches, we are Behind Open Doors, a podcast designed to take you behind the scenes, discovering what it takes to multiply disciples, leaders, and new churches. We're located in the U.S., the Hampton Roads region of Virginia. Visit us at multiplythechurch.com. My name is Aaron Denini, Executive Director of the Multiply Family of Churches, and I'm joined today by our Director of Missions and freshly tanned vacationer, John Slinker. Welcome back, friend. Hey, thanks. Good to have you back from your vacay. Yeah. All right, so the first big question for today, is it possible, is it possible to go on vacation and return in such a way that you don't feel like you need a vacation no. from your vacation. <laughs> do I have to wait till the question is finished? Why is being that? Asked? Why do we why do we do that to ourselves? Where we go on vacation and we like we go, we go, we go, we go, we go, and I've we come home theory. and we're like, oh my goodness, I wish I would have rested a little bit more. What's your theory? Yeah, well, there's multiple types of vacation. The vacation okay. I was on was with extended family. And okay. so you're constantly, you know, when you're with other people, you want to push the lever from yourself to them. You always want to be focused and and just loving others and giving others your energy. I think that's why. When I go on a vacation a good for Christian. myself, <laughs> try, man. I don't like, yeah, the perfect vacation is the beach with the wife, my lovely, and it's us. Yeah. Yeah. I could see that. And that's, that's what gives me energy. That's what fills me up, man. I, I, I love being with the family. I had a great time. It was a blast. It was just as fun, but it was also draining. Yeah. Yeah, sure. No, I get it. We have a big family, as you know, with five kids. Huge. And, um, it's huge, huge. Huge. It's huge. It's a huge family. And um, You'll love them. I love them to death, right? Like nobody else loves them. Yeah. Um, and and we, uh, we got this little place in PA that was uh, her dad's old place. And it's such a great retreat place for us because, because there's family close by, but we're not in their space. Mm. And when you have a big family, you always feel like you're in somebody else's space. So like having your own space, that's about the only thing that's restful for our whole family. You know what I'm saying? So you're right though. That kind of vacationing is, is best for us. And then then last night, my my wife and I, who I love dearly, and we're just on the podcast last episode together. And wow, we got along so well on the podcast (laughs) last night. We did not get along so well as we were planning out some of these vacation things because it got to the point where we were planning things and the the schedule starts to fill up and we're both kind of like, like, no, no, we're supposed to rest. We're right. supposed to get away, right? right? That's how your vacation will not be a vacation, I think, is yes. if you plan it too much. Right. right? At least right. for us, anyway. The other, the, absolutely. The other part of the theory is there's vacations where you go to Ireland and you tour. Mm, or you yeah. go to a new city. I say Like hotel to, to hotel, you know? Yeah, you're traveling yeah. a lot. You're trying to get a lot in. You've got yeah. a packed schedule. And hey, it's a new place. You want to do that. Absolutely. But you also need to take those days to just do nothing. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess, yeah. So the moral of the story is different vacations have different purposes. Absolutely. And you need to make sure you have a, a variety of a yes. diversity of purpose in yes. your vacationing. Right? Strategic vacationing. That needs to be like another book or a podcast or something. Agreed. Like that, right? Agreed. And you always give yourself Strategic an extra purpose. day, at, at least an yes. extra day on the yes. back end to gather yourself, get unpacked. Absolutely. Which I'm still not fully, but you know, <laughs> I've been sick as well as soon as I came back. So I came back from probably like four days. 
um, held the seafood boil from a neighbor that went great. They loved it. It was good. And then I, I flew out the next morning bright and early to go to Ohio for a few days and put some work in. I think I got like eight hours sleep for those four days. I came back, <laughs> got sick, and, and now we're here. So okay. I'm feeling, feeling better, feeling good, feeling rejuvenated. I was forced to rest, though, mm. when I got home. Yeah. Well, good. Thank the Lord for that. I guess. <laughs> forced rest. I w- right? Yeah, I guess. There's better ways to do it. <laughs> sometimes My body's not, telling me. Sometimes it's not strategic. It's forced upon That's you. That's right. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, on this episode of Behind Open Doors, we want to talk about a topic that we actually introduced last episode when Katie was on with me and uh, dig in a little bit deeper to the concept of business as mission. So to give proper context, we want to bring in a friend of ours. Now, family of ours. I like that. It's a part of the family of churches here. Nicholas Lombardi of the Grace Collective, Coalescence Coffee Company, and the VP of Programs Operations at ICM in Hampton across the water here. Welcome behind open doors, Nicholas. Thanks for having me. Very excited. Hey, man. It's so good to have you. Um, We've been looking forward to this for a long time. The whole season, we've been trying to figure out how we can get you on, get our schedules uh, to coordinate. And stoked to have you for this one and the next one. Uh, We'll leak that right now. Um, (gasps) Spoiler alert. Right. But tell us a little bit about your story, man. Let's start there. My story. Um, Yeah, I I didn't grow up in the church, as they would say. Not uh, about as far from it as possible. Uh, I like to say I'm one of the fortunate, unfortunate people that can remember uh, their conversion very, very clearly because they had so much of their life that uh, was not being lived as a follower of Jesus. Um, I actually got saved uh, in a coffee shop in Knoxville, Tennessee. And uh, this this story, as I remember it, um, I was dating a very nice young lady uh, from the South, very the southern part of Tennessee. You don't sound like you're from Tennessee. I'm not. Okay. Yeah, that's so. So this is something I I learned kind of the hard way is that uh, I'm from New Jersey. I'm from a second generation immigrant family, uh, really first generation American family. And um, uh, when in the South, when you want to marry a guy and he's still acting up, going to clubs or you know, not willing to grow up, you, you take them to church, right? And, and uh, so this young lady that for whatever reason uh, seemed to want to marry me, she, but I obviously wasn't ready. So she, she took me to church and I don't think she expected me, uh, she wanted to get me into church. And I, she, I don't think she wanted me to meet Jesus, uh, kind of ironically. Uh, she just wanted to clean me up and I, and I met Jesus and that ended up being sort of a rift in our relationship. Wow. Uh, yeah. In a lot of different ways, but I, I mean, I was so... Team Jesus one girlfriend? <laughs> no. Yeah. yeah, my, uh, my, you know, my concept uh, of God up until that point, so maybe I'm like 23, 24, it was like just the God that you hear about, um, you, you know, from the world, maybe like vengeful, judgmental. That's what I thought Christians were. Um, sure. y- you know, the God who's like waiting around every corner to zap you with lightning if you do something wrong. And so... Like, the idea of going to church, it was never going to happen. Like, I just, no, 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 no. And then finally, uh, myself and this girl, we were working at the same place, and another girl that was working there was like, hey, you know, there's a, uh, there's this, this new community 
of Christians and they're, they're meeting in our, a coffee shop in the old city of Knoxville, which is where all the bars and clubs were. So I was like, I know that, I know that place. <laughs> uh, I know, I know that area. And, um, and, and you can wear jeans there and they play like rock music and, 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 and you get free coffee. And so that was kind of like my, okay, I'll, I'll go down to this coffee shop with you. That was my concession and sort of the rest is history. As they say, um, there was a, a guy there who was a pastor, and I didn't realize he was a pastor at the time, but he was kind of covered in tattoos. He grew up in a family saturated in the drug world and kind of gave his testimony one day, and I was hit like a ton of bricks, had one of those come-to-God room-clearing, you know, kind of couldn't see, couldn't hear anything, but the gospel presentation, mm-hmm. cried for about two hours in that coffee shop in like a little loft study area they had there, mm. and... Um, yeah, the, re- the rest is history. That changed wow. my life forever. Man. Yeah, well, that's good, man. Uh, just a little bit more of the visual. Were they, like, wearing, like, cowboy hats and, like, <laughs> you know, denim jeans and no, button-ups the, and that kind of thing? No, in fact, the people that opened the coffee shop were from California. I think oh, wow. The, the okay. Bay Area. Mm-hmm. So it was so a like very Toms and like other things like that. Everybody yeah. else had Tennessee Vols jerseys on. <laughs> they were like pre hipster hipsters, okay. like wow, uh, okay. wearing the wool hats in like the hundred degree <laughs> Knoxville summer. Uh, very jeans well, that yeah. weren't skinny jeans yet, but were like a little too tight kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, I got you. It was very, it was very cool. I, I vibed yeah. with it. You know, well, nice. so so how did what brought you to the role that you're in today then? Um. Uh, I have many roles, so uh, I think many things kind of took me there. But my experiences in that coffee shop community initially have really, you know, in a lot of ways, I find myself constantly with my wife and with my friends and and folks I I follow Jesus with, you know, constantly pointing back to my very first experiences in that coffee shop. Because the coffee shop became the center of my world. The center of my world used to be, you know, bars or... or, uh, Mm things like that, right? And and then the center of my world kind of became this coffee shop. And 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 eventually the coffee shop community, which had believers and non-believers, and again, I didn't understand the intricacies of all of that at the time, but we would like meet there on Tuesday nights. And on Tuesday nights, we would go, there's this big bridge in downtown Knoxville, and there was a ministry, again, didn't know it was a ministry at the time, but they would just like, you could go there in groups and just help feed people. So you would set up chairs and tables and and, and, and prepared food and, you know, make it warm and then quite literally serve people. And so there was somebody like posted a, a posting on the coffee shop wall that was like, you know, Tuesdays at six, we're going to come here. We, we're going to get our coffees. And uh, I think it was like the winter, uh, it's most memorable in, in the winter. And we'd get our coffees and then all of us as a group, like a community of just all different types of people would walk down under the bridge mm-hmm. and we'd be like, hey, we're here to help. And over the years, helping there went from, you know, just kind of like uh, unfolding chairs to uh, serving food to then helping people get plugged into social services that were mm-hmm. available to them, then eventually helping them get plugged into local churches and counseling and uh, things like that. Nice. And I think all of my nonprofit activities, my community activities are really grounded in those first experiences, not so much because of how good they were for the people I was serving ham steak to on a Tuesday night that didn't have any food, but because it transformed me so deeply mm. that, you know, the first being a selfish, self-centered, 
you know, college athlete, academic, which is where my entire identity was, losing that identity really in a moment for graduation and injury reasons, but then finding my new identity mm-hmm. as a follower of Jesus and then finding just so much, I mean, just finding so much in serving other people for the first time in my life. Like I spent 24 years as just a, like a selfish toddler, really, right? Using all the things of the world for my own pleasures yeah. and then became transformed in giving other people and want to do it forever. That's amazing, man. So do, um, we're going to get into our topic here in a second, but, um, you ended up getting married. Um, you have kids now, so let's do kind of a little bit of a glimpse into, uh, what life looks like today and, uh, how you met your wife and all. Yeah. Through the grace of God, none of the girls involved in that coffee shop stuck, uh, <laughs> but totally my fault. Uh, you know what? It, <laughs> I, I, I wish I could tell you that that two hours, uh, crying with that worship pastor in the, the study room at the coffee shop that I just walked out of that coffee shop and never sinned again. You know, that's, that's how I wish the story goes. The truth is, right. is that, um, I went through just an awful, awful. I think like if you could break up the sanctification process for me into like phases, phase one was probably eight years, you know, and it was, it was just awful, awful stuff. And, and, um, thankfully God, uh, prevented any woman from being stuck with in that process too long. But, um, after, uh, after I finished college at the university of Tennessee, I moved up to Manhattan and kind of did the rat race thing for a while. Um, realized I was never going to be the follower of Jesus I was meant to be until I took the time to really be discipled, um, intently discipled for a long period of time. So um, really what I did was I I had an opportunity to break away from the business, the franchising that I was a part of, kind of an out-of-the-blue opportunity to separate without messing things up too much. And so um, I was reading The Case for Christ by... um, Strobel. Lee Strobel. I should know his name. I hang out with him every once and again now. <laughs> um, Lee Strobel. And um, it mentioned this Liberty University in there. It was the first seminary I'd ever heard of. Mm. And I was like, you know what? I, I think I was probably 26 maybe. And I'm like, I'm going to, if I don't take the time now to become the full, the fullest fulfillment or what I thought was to become a real Christian, let's say, mm-hmm. that's how I was thinking at the time. You know, I may never have the opportunity to do it again. So I, I had this fancy apartment overlooking Manhattan and like a six or seven hundred dollar a month lease on a car, and uh, I, I gave it all up. I turned in the lease. I got out of my uh, lease for my apartment. I tried to sell as much stuff as I could, and when I couldn't sell it, I did like an open door posting on Craigslist and let like homeless people just come into my apartment and take whatever they wanted. <laughs> uh, looking back on it, it was pretty insane. Then. Uh, <laughs> I applied to Liberty University to get into seminary because, again, it was the only one I'd ever heard of, and I thought I had no shot of getting in. And um, uh, I went down to Newark, New Jersey, like late at night and met uh, a nice fellow um, from the Middle East behind uh, barbed wire fences in the warehouse district of of Newark, and I bought a 1998 Passat from him. Uh, I don't think it came with a title, just <laughs> one of those like few grand kind of transactions. You can only get in New Jersey. And <laughs> I, I put a, a bag of clothes in there. This is all I had left for my apartment. And I drove it or, to go get gas and it, and it broke down right there. And I, <laughs> uh, like minutes later, but I got it kind of fixed a little bit. Uh, and then I put my bag of clothes in there and I drove down to Lynchburg 
uh, Virginia and showed up to start becoming a real Christian. I thought I'd be there for a year. <laughs> uh, it's pretty ridiculous. Everyone thought it was pretty ridiculous That's when I got weird. there, but uh, <laughs> it seemed biblical to me somehow. I don't know. Uh, so I thought I'd be there for a year, um, learn how to be a real Christian, ended up staying for maybe four years, got an uh, MA in theological studies and then an MDiv in biblical studies. And I met my wife there, most importantly, that's where the story is growing. <laughs> uh, I met my wife there. She was a counseling student in the graduate program, just like an angel. She was an angel when I first met her. She's still an angel after mm. six years of marriage or whatever it is. Um, yeah, she's and, way nicer than you. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> and she was from Richmond, uh, Virginia. And, um, yeah, she was like, her, so Hampton Roads really was a, we started navigating like, okay, where would we go? Where wouldn't we go? I ended up a seminary friend of mine. Uh, his uncle has a company that works in the shipyards here. So he was like, I, you know, we we're always looking for labor. I didn't realize what I was signing up for at the time, <laughs> you know, crawling into ships, uh, doing labor. But it was an opportunity to kind of get out here and check things out. And then like, the, it was just obvious. I don't think my wife had ever been to Norfolk except for like, and a two-hour trip to go to Handsome Biscuit with some college friends from uh, JMU or something. But um, I was like, we just both were like, this is the place where God wants us to be. And so having no connections here or anything besides that job, we moved here as a wow. married couple in downtown Norfolk. Wow. Love it. I'm not sure I heard, I've heard all of that before. So yeah. I know, and cool. I still feel like there's some more nuance yeah, yeah. There we, is, could, yeah. we could pull out. And, and well, maybe they'll come out as we uh, as we go through this, yeah, whole, this right. whole discussion, because um, really this this is leading into some of our topic today, and um, and the business as mission is kind of um, the, the starting point for you. Somebody decided that they were going to start a coffee shop and a church in the coffee shop, and you were saved in that location and, and you met Christ there and somebody decided that this business would be an appropriate endeavor to leverage for the mission of God, you know? And um, and we want to talk a little bit about that because I think we've got some similarities and views on that. So maybe some differing views, but definitely an agreement that we can use business as mission. We can use business for the mission of God. And um, and it actually happens a lot in the culture uh, that we're in now and across the world. Um, so, John, when you and I were in India in 2012, it's like everything goes back to there mm-hmm. for us for some reason. But um, I was exposed to this very practical approach to business as mission on multiple levels, actually. Remember that cafe we met in um, open hands, open hand cafe mm-hmm. uh, in in Varanasi. That um, was that sick. was that was really. Cool. We didn't even know they were Christians. They didn't yeah. even tell us they were, but they just kind of were a little spot for folks to uh, gather and enjoy thing, enjoy coffee and such. Yeah. Neat little hideaway in the midst yeah. of a huge bustling city. It was yeah, great. and I don't want to say uh, the the next one because I, it's still happening and it's on, under a, a covering of an organization that we're close with, but uh, it, it's, it's in South Asia and um, there's a place where there was a restaurant established so that uh, missionaries could come and land and learn the culture, learn the language, work in the business. And, um, and, and this was the first time I was really exposed to this reality of uh, business as mission. And this was, of course, in the international context, right? So restaurants, cafes, um, stores, whatever it is, they, missionary agencies will go and create a platform 
to immerse people in the culture and uh, contribute to the local economy and, of course, earn a paycheck along the way. And um, the question that, that I know I came back asking after that trip was like, uh, and when it comes to church planting and all those kind of things, um, we ask similar questions. But why can't this happen here? Or why isn't this happening here more regularly? Right. Right. Um, and here being, of course, the U.S., our cultural context, um, especially in um, a, a kind of post-Christian urban setting, um, should we not think of ways to participate in the mission of God as if we're in this kind of international, very non-Christian context? Um, because, you know, not a lot of folks, in even in our urban setting in the South, um, are, are thinking like, most kind of Southern Bible Belt people. Um, we live in a very secularized city. And, um, and so as we kind of observe the needs in our own community, this is what led our church to eventually start a coffee shop called Coaster Coffee, where we decided we were going to establish a place for people to gather and, and connect with other people because we didn't see a lot of that happening um, as what we might call third spaces. They don't People don't use that language much anymore, but um, it's not school, it's not work, um, it's not church, it's this kind of other space where people connect yeah. with others. Social right? play. Yeah, exactly. Space. Yeah. So... Um, we're going to talk about that a lot more today uh, with Nick, and um, here's why this matters for you, the listener, by the way. If you're a part of the Multiply family um, and you're, you're in, in this deal with us, and, uh, and we're so glad you've been listening um, for the first part of this season here, uh, what we want for you is to really just gain a better understanding of our motivations behind what we do with the different businesses that are a part of Multiply. Um, well, I will say each, we've talked about this in our Origins episode, that each church has the freedom to establish some sort of business approach to mission, um, but it's understood that Multiply does not own these businesses, that the church is going to be the one that establishes and owns the businesses. So we have Coalescence Coffee, a company with uh, Grace Collective, we have Coaster Coffee, and Ocean View Christian Academy with um, OV Church, um, and churches are free to start and own their own businesses, and we encourage that. And so you're going to get some of our motivations behind that today. You're going to see a little bit more about that. Hey, if you're a Christian outside of Hampton Road, somewhere else listening, I'm so glad that you're listening. Thank you for keeping up with us as well. Um, what we just want for you today is to kind of just consider mission, the mission of God, first of all, and consider it as more than mere evangelism, right? We need evangelism. It has to happen. That's the way that we share the gospel and see people come to know Jesus as Savior. Um, but mission can be so much more um, than that. There can be some good strategy behind it. We're going to talk about that today. And then if you're a, a business owner or a potential business owner, you've been thinking about owning a business down the road, um, the question for you might be, could I be a missionary? And we want to tell you today a resounding yes. Yes, you can. And you can leverage your business that you own for the mission of God. And it doesn't have to be a nonprofit necessarily. And so, um, so we, want to, we want to talk about that today. Before we go any further, a quick reminder, this podcast is written, produced, and distributed all here in the Multiply family. Your giving to the Multiply project makes this possible. We just recommitted our yearly contributions or pledges a few weeks ago, and we invite you to do the same. You can give to Multiply project by making a pledge with us or by one-time donation at multiplythechurch.com. Praise God for a great start to a fresh new season 
of multiplying his church. All right, for this topic, we need to begin by defining some terms. Um, So when we say mission, we are referring to something very specific. So when we say business as mission, we're referring to something very specific. So mission and missions, um, there's a distinction there. Mission, specifically, we're talking about God's overarching purposes in the world. And missions is really the local outworkings of Christians partnering with God in his mission. All right? Check. So um, you got that, Nick? You you with us still? Are you not asleep over there? We're good? Okay, cool. All right. (laughs) So uh, the mission of God is his overarching purposes in the world, right? And missions is the local outworkings of Christians partnering with God in his mission. So, um, John, a lot of the work that you do with Mission Coalition International, um, when you go down and you help them, you train them in church planting and they're building a building and a facility down there, we would call that missions, right? Mm -hmm. And then the missions of MCI Mexico is contributing to the overall mission of God, right? Correct. So this is the clarifying of terms we want people mm. to understand it's how we use along them. the way. Yeah. Got it. Yep. So another another just you know side note little little uh, appetizer here for us. I learned this a, a few years back. Words don't have meanings; they have usages. And so as long as we understand what we're using yeah. the terms for these definitions, it's really helpful. So one of the resources I found going through this was a paper that the Lausanne um, Covenant and organization put out on business as mission. It's long. It's lengthy. We've tried to. You've got to print it out. How many pages is I that? I literally thing? have it right here in it's front of me. maybe a, a quarter of an inch worth of papers this printed is, out. It's yeah, it's bad. double-sided so, printed. Um, but they, they do a, a, a good job. It's uh, It was put out in like 2005, um, I believe. Is that correct? You said? Four, yeah. 2000, close enough, right? And um, one of their definitions for business's mission is that business is a mission, a calling, a ministry in its own right, and that human activity reflects our divine origin, having been created to be creative, to create good things by good processes for us to enjoy with others. Okay, all that saying is, what is business as mission? What's our goal? What's the purpose of business as mission? And when is business not mission? And when is mission not business? And we're throwing around some terms yeah. and some definitions. So let's try to pull this apart. Um, whenever, whenever we try to get to simplicity, um, I think of a triangle. Um, the, the bottom left part of the triangle is the simple start of, of the idea. The top part of the triangle is complexity. And then you finally work your way back down to more simplicity. So we might muddy the waters, but in an attempt to get things more clear. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. That's a good way to put it, I think, because um, we're saying business as mission. Mm -hmm. Um, We are not uh, talking about business and mission today. Um, We might talk about it in some way, shape or form just to distinguish between business and mission, business as mission. So business and mission is really two kind of separate activities. It's two parallel tracks headed towards the same direction, but one is business and one is mission or even missions, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So there's a distinction there 
between business as and business and. Does that make sense? Yes. Yes. Two separate activities. Okay. Yes. Um, I think the key, the key for me, I just got it. I think in the, <laughs> the key is the plural there. And I think it's really important that you clarify those definitions, the, the, the difference between mission and missions. I think that's the, that's the key. So I got it now. I get it. All right. Fantastic. Um, we are not talking about today business for mission. All right. So what we mean by that is uh, funding mission through the profits of business. Is that a good thing? Sure, absolutely. Uh, but that's not what we're talking about today. Yeah, it's probably what most people think of when they hear business as mission, too. Yeah. Oh, you're, oh, you're creating a business to get money so you can fund these you're things, gonna, right? You're going to give to this agency or these missionary friends that you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and that's not necessarily what we're talking about today. Yeah. Uh, might it be financially more sustainable? Yes, but... It is distinct. It is different than uh, business as mission. And maybe it could be like a small part of uh, business as mission. Absolutely. But it's not equal not to the purpose. Business. It's, it's not the and, and uh, yeah, what we're not doing here is saying that one's better Correct. than the other or one is right and one is wrong. We're just making distinctions between them. And I think all of them have a place. Um, probably. I want to say that loosely because I don't know where we're going to go, but most of these things do have a place um, within the overarching multifaceted mission and, and multiple front lines that the kingdom ha- is working on right now. Yeah. Uh, this next one, business in, excuse me, sorry, back up, mission in business, okay? Mission in business. Mission in business is uh, seeking to lead unbelieving employees to faith in Christ. That's like, that's like what any of any any folks do on a daily basis in their business in their office in their school in their life in general you might see mission in your business but that's because you are in your business trying to uh, reach out to people who don't know Jesus and uh, and eventually potentially lead them to faith in Christ um, but again that is not what we're talking about today mm-hmm. All right? Business as a platform for mission is the next one. Business as a platform for mission. This is where your work and professional life is a means of channeling mission throughout the world. All right. Um, so it's it's not. This is um, this is like your your world vision or your um, you know these larger kind of companies that exist for the mission and they're pretty like out front about it, right? Like we're about helping orphans or we're about, um, you know, uh, helping the poor or whatever the case may be. Um, you're using your business as a platform for mission. Um, this is also not that. Does that make sense? Yeah, sure. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, one more before we get to the actual topic here, business in missions. Okay. Business in missions. This is business as a means to proclaim Christ in cross cultural settings. Might there be business in, or might there be missions in our business, and might business be in missions? Yes, but we're not talking specifically about that. We are talking today about business as mission. And what we mean by that is business as a vehicle of the mission of God in the world. All right? So we want to, we want to see business leveraged for the mission of God in the world. And so we are purposefully, and maybe intent is really the, the, 
the root of all of this. We want to advocate for establishing businesses so that the mission of God can be progressed and proclaimed and eventually um, completed in the world. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Is that, do we agree on that? Yes. Yeah. There's a lot of complexity there. There is. Well, let's talk about some of that. What, are, what are some of the, uh, some of the complexity there? Because it's, it's different than tent making, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's different than all the things that we mentioned above. Um, we're not going to be shy about saying we want our businesses that we establish to make a profit right? Like we clearly need to make a profit. That's what the whole purpose of a business is, but we're not here just to make a profit. We're actually here to benefit the culture, community, society as a whole, right? Um, It's not just about jobs and money per se. It's not about material gain. There's a spiritual component, a really spiritual drive behind what we do in the field of business as mission, so uh, how much of that complexity do we want to unpack right now before we go into some of the theological and biblical background? Well, I was going to say that that's actually, I think, both. Because I think unraveling the complexity is going to start with understanding what the purposes are of God in the world. So we, the definition of mission that you gave when you opened was God's overarching purposes in the world. And if business as mission is a vehicle for the mission of God or the purposes of God in the world... I, I would think maybe a good place to start is, okay, what are those purposes? Okay. Yeah, great. Yeah. So um, the Old Testament, we go to Genesis 1 and 2, right? We look at the creation narrative, and um, we look at people made in the image of God, the Imago Dei, the, the, um, uh, the establishment of God's image bearers here on this earth, in this world. Um, we are uh, imaging God by also being co-creators with him, right? Not that we created the world, but that he created, and we mimic or we image that to the world by also being creative. Now, there's a number of other things, obviously, that goes with the Imago Dei, but in this case specifically, we are co-creators with God, and we actually have then a cultural mandate of stewardship that comes with that, because we were told um, to be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it, right? Have dominion over the earth. And that implies and requires really of us a, a stewardship component to creation as a whole, um, which means there's a whole lot of freedom there to create and co-create with God and what he's doing, see what he's doing and, and navigate those things. But to do so in a way that is for, if you will, kind of the, the greater good, right? Or the, um, this, uh, uh, this care for Yes, mm-hmm. the plants and animals, creation, care, and uh, people, and, and and all these different things, the culture, and all those kind of things, right? Mm-hmm. What what else goes into that kind of um, creation um, component? I, th- I think you you hit the nail on the head there. I I think of really Eden, you know, the Garden of Eden. Yeah, the original purpose of God, as I understand it, was. Uh, God had this heavenly family. He had, you know, this heavenly world, and then he wanted a sort of earthly world, another world, and then he wanted the two to hang out together, and he needed a place to do it, right? So he he creates Eden, the Garden of Eden, as we call it, where his heavenly family, him, the Trinity, that you know, that kind of stuff, the angels, uh, uh, where they could come together with these this new earthly world, 
and hang out together. And then the mandate was like, well, this is so awesome. Let's, let's spread this out everywhere. Let's make this, this place where we can all be together, where we can tabernacle together. Let's spread it out. And that place was, you know, it was great. It was like, it was successful. Maybe we would call it today. It had, it was fruitful. It, there was lots of food to eat and it was beautiful to be in. It was a lush garden, right? There like animals and, and, and it was just awesome. You could just hang out there. It's like the, my picture, like the best park in the world. And I think, you know, if you just say, okay, well then the idea is the whole world should enjoy this. The whole world should have an opportunity to be in God's family and, and to, and to sort of hang out with him in a really cool place. Then business in one sense is like, well, that purpose, just extending that other way, like making great products, making great places, making great food, great drink, uh, doing things that are fruitful and 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 provide resources for the people is all part of that original intent of uh, creating that space and that sort of fruitful atmosphere. Yeah, that's beautiful. That is entrepreneurship 101. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and um, of course, you know, the next chapter, turn the page into chapter three, and it all comes kind of crumbling down. Yeah, right. Yeah, mm-hmm. and and essentially. From Genesis three to today, we're we're on our way back to Eden, you know, in a way, right? And um, and I love that. There's uh, um, oh, I forget his name right now off the top of my head. Zach, he's a pastor, Presbyterian pastor. Um, he wrote a book called Recovering Eden, and it's essentially a commentary on Ecclesiastes. And um, and man, it's just so rich with that kind of language. And I've always loved that language of back to the garden, right? Because what you just described, I want to go there. <laughs> I want to eat that food. I want to hang out with the lion and the lamb. You know what I'm saying? Like, right. I want to be a part of that. And um, and so w- what we do in a fallen world is we create little utopias everywhere, mm-hmm. right? And we create little spaces for us to have little glimpses of the garden everywhere. And um, and, and in, in, a, in a very real sense, the secular world does the same exact thing. Um, everyone is trying in some way to create some sort of utopian society or utopian uh, community where their place is where you want to go hang out. And um, they may not use that language, right? Um, but but I just think it's interesting that everybody wants that perfect space and that um, that uh, that place to come back to where, you know, um, all the politicians promise it to us, right? That we're going to have, if, if you vote for this person, you're going to get these rewards and uh, we're going to create a, a, a country that is just so much better than it is now. Everybody's trying to bring you back to Eden almost in that kind of sense. And, and in a, you know, in a, in a way, the church is designed to be a little bit of a shadow and a pointer and a type of pointing ahead to this potential renewed earth, um, new heavens, new earth, as you come into a church gathering and you're with your people and you're and you're recognizing each other's flaws, but going in grace because of Christ, um, we recognize that the church is that little, purposefully now, is that little glimpse of the garden, that little glimpse of beauty um, that, uh, that we want to reside in because we wrote a song um, off of an old hymn a couple years ago called Where Jesus Is, Tis Heaven There, right? And that really is the truth because where Jesus is in that church, in that little garden, it doesn't matter in a broken world what that really looks like per se because where Jesus is, there's a little bit of heaven there, 
hmm. where we gather, there's a little bit of heaven there. You know, we're bringing heaven to earth, as hmm. it were. Um, and uh, I think you're right. So that brokenness, Genesis three, the fall, kind of brokenness, then um, it is what kind of messes things up. And so, what we're saying is, could it be that as we establish and leverage business for the mission of God, that we're we're leveraging and using these kind of things beyond just the church space now to kind of infiltrate culture to say, here Christians have exactly what we can, what we are capable of doing on this earth, this side of heaven, to give you a little bit of a glimpse of glory, a little bit of a glimpse of what what community is really going to be like, what diversity and unity is really going to be like, and what, you know, being treated with dignity is really going to look like, you know, and all, all the kind of things that we want to do with, yes, business, right? Because business is a part of our life, especially in our culture, but mm-hmm. across the world. I mean, you don't have business, you don't have an economy, you're not going to have much of a of a place. And we'll talk more about that as we move forward. But any more comments on that kind of... Well, just, yeah, I think the one thing I would say is that something I learned over time in my theological journey is that, you know, a lot changed at the fall, right? When, when that perfect Eden was sort of disrupted. What didn't change is God's purpose in what he was doing, right? The, the pathway for how that was going to unfold it had forever changed mm-hmm. because of the actions, you know, of Adam and Eve and... and the, the Genesis 3 narrative. But God didn't say, you know, it wasn't like, all right, I'm going to open a coffee shop. All right, you guys messed that up. Now I'm going to go open a theme park. Like, you know, the, what, what he wanted, <laughs> he didn't, he's like, okay, he didn't give up on his plan, right? The, the, the spreading Eden throughout the world and, and later, like Jesus would call this the kingdom, right? That never changed throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. Yep. Just kind of the pathway and how it was going to happen, obviously, had been changed. So I think that's important to realize. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Zach Eswine, by the way, is the, oh, yeah. is who I was thinking of recovering Eden. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, yeah, great, great topic there. So, fast forward a little bit in um, Genesis thirty-seven through fifty, we've got um, Joseph, right, in the coat of many colors, and he was uh, deceived by his brothers, sold into slavery. And a long story short of it, he's made essentially the second hand man to uh, Pharaoh in Egypt. And he becomes what? Well, he becomes a, a great business administrator um, to the kingdom of Egypt. Uh, he's, he's the second hand because he made the best and wisest decisions for the people of the day. Um, and then you look at Israel, who receives the law from God, right, and the law of Moses. And, um, and there's a lot in the law um, about how to conduct business and how to uh, participate um, in your civic duties and to do so in a way that honors the Lord. And that is, is essentially his command for uh, living and thriving and flourishing here on the earth. And of course, the whole concept of shalom itself, um, that shalom is really, shalom and recovering Eden are the same kind of concept, right? Coming back to peace. And that whole concept of shalom in uh, the Jewish culture was that that's what was existent in the garden. And we are all trying in some kind of way to recover shalom and, um, and uh, find that peace once again. So uh, that is the idea of the law. 
and then fast forward to the New Testament, that's what uh, Christ ultimately offered as Lord of the Sabbath, right? As Lord of Shalom. Um, he offers that peace. In my studies on Shalom, I remember reading this picture, and it was a picture of a brick wall. And a, a, a brick wall is not at Shalom. It's not at peace if there's a brick missing from it. It has to be complete in order for there to be the peace and completion and perfection there. Um, if your neighbor um, comes over and yells at you because your ox just trampled on their harvest this year, there's no shalom there until you make it right and there's peace. Um, so as far as the shalom, um, what are we creating in our businesses? What are we creating as a culture? What are we creating in our communities? Uh, one other example is even in the worst of scenarios, imagine we were all held in captivity by the government and God told us we would have to stay here for generations. That's exactly what God told Daniel and what Daniel told the Israelites when they were in Babylonian captivity. And the command that God gave them was no different from the one in the garden. Be fruitful, multiply, and he even said, look, build your homes here. Don't keep living in tents. Don't keep trying to run away from this. Actually plant gardens and integrate into the culture so that you can have an influence on them. Um, that is a form of the Edenic covenant or uh, command that we see even in Jeremiah 29. Um, live quiet and, and peaceably among everybody in your community. Uh, you're going to be here a while. Love me love your neighbors, care for them, um, spread the gospel influence throughout your community, fight for your and your neighbor's highest possible good. And, uh, you know, I wonder most listeners, I bet are not going to hear this and be like, man, I think I could start a company. <laughs> but what you can do is identify different businesses that are, um, engaged in God's mission. I'll say it like that because it, we're kind of, we're kind of, fighting for one of these. They're all good, but, but maybe one is, um, is where we've seen the greatest impact or is most overlaps mission. Um, and so that would be the goal most likely, but I think your goal is, as you're listening to this, I'm not a business owner. I don't ever want to start a business. What can I do? Manage your house and your garden well in your community and then find those other missional businesses and cooperate and bring heaven to your community. People are not going to be happy with my garden. I can promise you that. But, um, <laughs> That's okay. Okay. You've got a small yard <laughs> with uh, lots of sand. With lots of yeah, sand. It's not going to. So. It's not great. But yeah, that's good. Um, bring heaven here um, <laughs> with what you got. I like it. That's yeah. good. If you look at the New Testament, I think just real quickly, just to say, um, Jesus brought the kingdom of God to earth, and he established it, his rule and reign here and now through his people, by his spirit, right? By the power of his spirit. Um, the kingdom is itself, dare I say, a business of sorts. A kingdom has to be overseen and organized and ran in some there's, sort of way. I would say there's right? structure and there's there's process. Yeah. 
Absolutely. I think there's open. So maybe not a business, but it is an, it's an, it's organization of some sort, yeah. right? And and different levels of them, obviously, with mm-hmm. um, different types of mm-hmm. uh, uh, outworkings of of the kingdom. Um, but, but Jesus came and established a kingdom, and it has to be overseen and ran um, and stewarded well and managed well, in other words. So uh, I believe what that means to us is that we've got we got a job to do to make sure that it is and that um, we have protectors in, in, in the kingdom called mm-hmm. um, elders and pastors that protect the integrity of the kingdom with um, right theology according to the scriptures. Business you know? oversight. Business oversight, yeah, exactly. And so, yeah, they're literally called overseers, right? Um, so that's a, I think that's a good way to, to just kind of look at the church itself as the kingdom of God and recognize there's organization there, there's management there, there's, and that's all kinds of principles and qualities fall, yeah. can be pulled out of the Gospels to, if you look at how Jesus did it. At the end of each day in creation, if we're going with a literal day, then God finished each one of them with quality control. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's, yeah. this is good. It's good. This is good. I like it. This is really good. Yeah, we had a really good day today. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So in the New Testament, we see Jesus in the kingdom of God, um, Jesus bringing heaven um, to earth. We see Paul operating, maybe not in business as mission, but tent making. Um, And then we do see Lydia, though, that I think might fit even even more closely to this idea of business as missions, a seller of purple. She's um, working. She's putting her neck on the line as a Christian businesswoman, um, planting churches in her homes and throughout the community. And likely using those resources right from the business to really fund a lot of the church, the yep. early church uh, activity yep. that was happening. Yeah. And, and travel and all those kind of things. Right? Yeah. To, to fund for the mission, right? To bring employees in as a platform for the mission. And so maybe business as mission, would we be willing to say incorporates all of these things? So maybe it's, maybe it's that for Lydia in her case, um, that because she was already a business person, um, she, she saved and radically changed what was uh, her business that was profitable and helpful. She likely shifted her, her intent for the business at that point. Right. Mm. Where, um, where now she's like, okay, now I see my business as a vehicle for this mission of God. You know what I mean? It's no longer for my self-sustaining purposes of my family at home. Mm-hmm. It's there. There's a much greater reason that my business exists, and she didn't change the product that we know of. She didn't change the service that we know of. Yeah. Um, she continued doing the same thing, um, and and was intentional in every aspect of her life. Um, so it's it's not just a job where she's punching the clock. She's doing something something she's good at. She's doing something that gives her energy. It's not draining to her. She's picked a vocation. She's found where she, uh, all the areas of her life overlap, insert Jesus, and now she's able to use it as a missional opportunity. And that goes way beyond evangelism, and we'll get to that in a second. But So yeah, Lydia, did, did you want to add to that or no? 
Yeah, sure. <laughs> I, Go for it. Um, I've become uh, recently, maybe not recently, kind of obsessed with the the first century or the intertestamental period. Um, mm-hmm. And I think, I think in a lot of ways, business's mission is really just a reclamation of a normalcy that was in the first century, right? And and I think we discover a lot of things that way. Mm. Oh, this is good, something that we're doing. And then you're like, okay, they, everybody was doing this. Because, <laughs> and I don't want to take anything away from uh, Lydia, but, um, you know, something that contextually that might be important to understand is that it, when Jesus walked the earth, it was pre-AD 70, right? So the temple hadn't fallen yet. And so when the word rabbi is used to describe Jesus, that, that word actually goes through a, a, a very uh, a significant transformation almost in an instant, AD 70, right? It goes from sort of being an itinerant preacher that was, co- that was bivocational, Right, because you have this, there's this dichotomy where the word rabbi is used for Jesus, but then also like the carpenter type stuff, right? Like, so how does how does that make sense? And well, so after AD 70, um, then the synagogues and the and the, the pastoral staff there, the the church planters, if you will, becomes a profession, right? Right before that, when Jesus walked the earth, it was not a profession yet. Mm-hmm. What would happen is you would have a skill or uh, you'd be a carpenter or something, and that was probably 50% of Jesus's time. Which was no small thing. Like, I think people get this idea that Jesus was just this poor guy that walked, he was homeless, he walked here. No, he was a tradesman. A tradesman right. made money mm-hmm. uh, and good money exactly. up until he was, what, 30 years old? Yeah. He, he made good money. Like, mm-hmm. that was a, a big deal back then. So un- undoubtedly, in, in my mind, I think Jesus, like part of his disappearance uh, from, you know, the age of 12 or 13 to 30 was he was in his rabbinical training, but also he was an apprentice as a carpenter. And and when you were in apprentice to be a rabbi or an apprentice to be a carpenter, you purposely were stripped of your identity, right? Because your whole purpose during that time was to lose your identity and then absorb the identity of the pers- person that you're apprenticing to. So not only was Jesus most likely when he would travel and teach, he was spending some of his time still doing carpentry type stuff, which we know probably included a lot of cement work and sand and all that. Um, But everybody in the community was doing that, right? So on Saturdays, when you had a synagogue, you didn't have one person leading the worship service like we would call it today, right? What would happen is somebody would, and you can see this in the New Testament, somebody would stand up, they'd read the portion of scripture for that day, and then multiple men in the community who had had the chance to continue their rabbinical training would stand up, and they would just kind of like spit out stuff, like my grandfather told me this, my dad told me this, I learned this tradition, and you would sort of learn about the scriptures that way. But all of those men, like Monday through Wednesday or Thursday, were just, you know, hammering away at their carpentry job, and then what would happen, Jesus would become like sort of a sponsored itinerary rabbi. So remember, we're talking about the first century, we're talking about the desert area, and not all the rabbinical training or the synagogues had made it to every town, let's say, right? Like, so maybe the more metropolitan areas had these educated people. And so all the business people in your synagogue community would essentially, that your temple community would bring money together from their carpentry business, from their uh, blacksmithing business, whatever it was, and they would chip in a little bit as a way of paying G- for Jesus's food and, and, and travel to go to that next town over that didn't have a Jesus-type figure, and he would get to share the kingdom mm. and the teachings in that way. Mm-hmm. So so everybody in the in the Jewish community in the first century was essentially leveraging their businesses, their, mm. their trade, as a way of planting churches and spreading the kingdom to the 
from village to village. And um, I think Paul, you, you mentioned, uh, Aaron, you mentioned leverage uh, as being, a, leveraging business as, as being a strong part of this. And I don't think anyone in the Bible uh, leveraged their business better than Paul. Um, there's this fantastic book uh, that really changed my understanding of uh, the New Testament in a lot of ways by this guy, F.F. Bruce. I think it was written in 2000. It's called uh, Apostle of the Heart Set, Through, Set Free. And it's kind of a complex academic book, but there's two chapters or three chapters in there that like totally changed my understanding of Paul. And, and what, he, what he says, and I think it's a really convincing argument, is he says that uh, if you look at how Paul talked to people and how he sort of flexed his, his Roman muscles and his Hebrew muscles, there's also a dichotomy there, kind of similar to the one with Jesus, right? He, he says he's a Hebrew of Hebrews, but he also, uh, when, when somebody's bragging at him and saying, hey, I bought my citizenship to be a Roman, Right. He's like, huh, oh, I was born one. And like that, he was kind of trumping that guy. Well, that was not something you could do in the first century. Right. If you were born a Hebrew of Hebrews, you were born a non-Roman citizen. If you were born a Roman citizen, you were not a Hebrew. So Paul is this really fantastic exception in the first century. And I think a lot of people I, I've once described at a conference I was speaking at, I described uh, Paul as like the love child between um, well, like, like a John Piper, Tim Tebow kind of mix in the Christian community, right? Because uh, if, if you look at some of the words he says, like he's from Tarsus, but he actually mentions like another part of the, uh, the region that he was from. And, and so, so F.F. Bruce does all this like really deep research. And, and I'll skip to the sort of the, uh, the end point is that most likely what we understand Paul, when, when we understand he's a tent maker, that word that we see there, Paul came from a very, very, very special family, a special business family. So it's, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's most likely that Paul's uh, father, because he, he, if he was born a Roman citizen, his father must have been a Roman citizen. And, and what it seems happened is that there were, you know, Rome was expanding and they're fighting all these battles. And uh, Paul's father probably owned like this huge uh, tent company. And uh, he had the uh, government contract with Rome that when the soldiers would go expanding the Roman kingdom, he was the guy who over, he had this huge company that was, it was an Israelite company, you know, and he would go with the Roman soldiers wherever their campaign was and send his people along and they would build the tents and the, the little villages that they would send in. This was such a huge um, contribution to the spreading of Rome that his father or grandfather possibly was awarded by uh, sort of mandate, you know, uh, the, this special distinction. And we know like in Tarsus, there's like five families basically that have ever lived in Tarsus in this area. And they, they didn't have to pay taxes. They had all these really, really special benefits is the mm. point. And so business, is FF Bruce says, is what bought Paul the, his success, his family's success as business is what gave Paul this amazingly special ability to travel the world. And when he got kind of stuck, he's like, yo, I'm, I'm Tim Tebow. Do you not recognize me? And then like everyone kind of peeled away because what he, by, by just saying, I'm Paul from Tarsus and Cilia, uh, Cilicia, right? Everyone was like, oh my gosh, he's like, mm. he's, a, he's a Bush, he's a Kennedy kind of yeah. thing, right? Mm. He's a Kennedy from Martha's Vineyard is basically yeah. what he was saying. And that's why they just kind of like, oh shoot, okay, let's, let's not beat him, let's not do this, let's not do that. And so, um, I mean, obviously there's so much providence in there from God, but sure. that's just like, yeah. business is really what allowed 
the the kingdom to spread through Paul the way the way it did, uh, and that that's just fascinating. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. man, that's a great summary, by the way. Um, well done, uh, and I I think that is it just lays such a a strong foundation for. I, I love the first part of that. Um, you know, we think we're talking about something new right now. The laws in article in 2004 comes out business as mission and it starts talking about all these things which by the way it doesn't it doesn't even touch on what you just described Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. i I wish it would go a little bit further like that Um, obviously bruce stuff is out there but um but yeah I, i think that is uh as it says there kind of a renewed call um to this approach of business as mission because it's been going on for all this time. And, um, and I think leverage is the right word. We, we just need to leverage the systems of this world for the kingdom of God um, because these systems exist, this culture exists, and we need to identify what can we leverage so that, um, so that this mission can be propagated and, and, uh, and continue. I think that's, um, that's brilliant stuff, man. Yeah, another one that, that we've talked about even this morning was about hospitals. In throughout throughout Christendom, throughout history, um, the role of hospitals and schools, uh, among other businesses, but m- mostly those have been the two that seem to be the some of the best overlapping uh, businesses that a that a missional community can start or get behind because they provide a product or service that is intentionally for the people of that community for their good, physically, emotionally spiritually um you've got you've got some things on hospitals that you've experienced well i think i I think there's two trends we need to kind of unpack uh at some point and 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 there there needs to be this understanding of uh, there's a trend right of uh since day one where uh the forces of evil the forces of darkness seek to undo the edenic mandate right that if god says okay let's like spread eden let's make businesses let's cultivate fruit and vegetables and luscious water all this kind of stuff then the forces of evil are like let's stop that right because mm-hmm. because in doing so we get to image right we're imagers of all those awesome things of god and so there's this practical sense where it's like well survival right if 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 these forces are going to try to stop us from being able to do this we need to be we need to be considering how to make sure we can keep doing these things in ways that like God has provided us to do that. And I think business is there. There's a lot to talk about with like millennial trends in giving when it comes to impacting like say, you know, 30, 40 years from now, the idea that people are just going to give money to the local church or to the the local church planning network or, or any nonprofits because it's something that you do as an American or as a Westerner, right? That ideal is gone in, in, in my generation and the one after it. So, mm-hmm. so there's going to be an understanding of, of, of surviving those, those forces of darkness. We, we need to take that even more seriously. And there's been times throughout history where that's the case. But again, th- this is a trend that has never, has really never stopped, right? If you, if you study medieval history at all, um, the formation. I do that all the time. <laughs> uh, absolutely. The, uh, um, the the history of Christianity, Gonzalez, like, like the the mm-hmm. the the work on on tracking yeah. uh, Christian Christendom. It, he talks about how uh, Christians, and I, I think, man, there's a lot of debates today where we could talk about this. Is Christians have always been on the forefront of caring for people's physical, you know, human rights and things like that, because in Eden people were healthy, right? That, that was a big part. You, you had plenty to eat, you weren't sick, all of these kind of things. So reclaiming 
Eden uh, means that, okay, we have to make sure people are healthy. If you're going to experience a little part of heaven, ain't nobody sick in heaven, right? Mm. So that's, a, that's something to deal with. So like if you look in the medieval times, essentially what happened was um, the cathedral, uh, the cathedral is, is a Latin word that really just reflects, it's the place, it, it means chair, and it, and it just means the place where like the bishop resides, where he sits, and where the bishop would reside, kind of like he's like the regional manager of the Catholic Church, right? Mm-hmm. He, uh, where he Assistant re- to the region. <laughs> there, there were a lot of resources that would follow him, right? The Catholic Church resources, we know that in medieval times. And so naturally, where he was and where those resources were, were the places where the church developed those, those more robust offerings of the Edenic uh, mandate. So, mm-hmm. so hospitals were, were first uh, formed in the cath. The, the cathedral had sort of like attached to it as part of it was a place where all the sick came. Because if you were sick and you didn't have resources, you didn't have uh, education, you would head towards these cathedrals. The libraries were there. So if, if uh, the studies of medicine that were originally put forward by Christians in the Catholic Church, if there was a cure for what you're going to have, you wanted to head there because that's where the research was. That was that's where the doctors were. So then that very easily and, and kind of quickly became like the uh, like the, 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 the soup kitchen type because, mm-hmm. again, the resources were there. The people would be drawn there. And so, okay, we have to feed these people because in, in Eden, there's a lot of uh, vegetables and fruits, right? So, so I look at um, those things were offered to the community, those resources, those services had really very little to do with, say, evangelism necessarily, right? That was something that was, was you know, propinquity is the word actually, like by uh, the distance that they were, the, the Catholic Church, to other people in their community, they were responsible for helping as much as they could for the physical needs and these resource needs, as well as the spiritual needs, of course. And so, you know, that's just like, if you look back at the synagogue of what we talked about about Jesus, that's, that's all kind of along the way. And I, again, I think we're just, we're reclaiming almost those things that have been done uh, for centuries. And it's just so exciting to me. Uh, yeah. It is, and I, I think to kind of add to that, I don't know how, how much more you want to go on this, but um, add schools to that mix, right? Because you need to educate people to demand those hospitals, right? And, you, and uh, the whole point of Christian education um, in those times was to, to uh, kind of lead the way in culture forming, right? And uh, exactly. to educate these young minds in the ways of Christ and education so that people grew up as Christ-centered and gospel-centered thinkers so that they might uh, influence culture and society in a way that was um, uh, uh, more kingdom-minded. Now, we could there are all kinds of breakdowns happen throughout history, of course, with broken people. Um, but that, that was the, the original kind of cause and shape for that. So, the, so schools are established by not some you know, other secular organization out there, but first and foremost by Christians. Exactly. And um, I, that's one of the reasons why uh, I was, somebody asked me one time, um, uh, did, did God call you to lead a school? And I said, well, God called me to lead this church, and this church happens to have a school. That was like my my initial um, kind of attitude towards towards the school. And then I just started to, to get more and more convinced as I studied and as I uh, went to India and talked to Pastor Danny in India that, um, no, 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 this is actually a beautiful situation mm-hmm. where we are able to to cultivate young minds um, and uh, our focus on our school is is leader development and, and 
Christian leadership so that these people can, these young kids can grow up to be leaders in their community. Um, even if it's, even if it's just a simple volunteer role, like a, a civic league president. Um, but imagine a, a city manager, um, that came up with a Christian background that's actually shaping and forming where things are built and how things are placed in, in a city, you know, like you make those kind of decisions for a culture and you have culture forming that's happening, hopefully by mm-hmm. Christian thinking and, and a gospel center thinking type of people. And so, um, so Christian education was back then that, that was its purpose back then. And, um, I would argue that today, I think there's a, there's a, a push to kind of recapture again, some of these same essences of what Christian education was and could be, um, even today in a more and more secularized world. Love it. That's the goal. You look at the liturgy of the mall. When you go to a business at the mall, you got to park the car, uh, downtown Norfolk here, you got to pay uh, or grab your ticket and receipt. And you go inside, you go to the food court. I don't know if malls are a thing anymore. Have you guys heard of these in the last year? I don't know. Mole? Mole? So you get your bags. They're all like each bag from each store is perfect, right? They've done a great job. They've set a whole culture around the, this, this uh, as, as one of my mentors has put it, this liturgy, right, of the business or of the mall. And it's a, it's a culture that they're trying to create. And so now taking that and not, not villainizing that, but saying, hey, they're, they're creating culture. And, and we're not surprised by that. We know that society creates culture. It's, it's uh, inherent in what people do, we, we don't even have to be intentional about it and we'll create bad culture. Um, but if businesses operating on mission um, can understand, hey, what, what is the experience of being a customer or a client or um, an employee or a neighbor to our business? What kind of culture, what kind of liturgy do we want to put forth to the community? How can we infiltrate? How can we influence and create culture? If we don't, culture is going to be created anyways, despite our apathy of actually wanting to get involved. Yeah. Yeah. So we are all for this idea of business as mission, clearly, obviously. And uh, I think we see a very strong biblical theological argument for it um, that could be fleshed out even more. By the way, I did some, as I was doing research for this, uh, I started looking up different writing on it and, and things. And there is there is not a lot out there. I was pretty disappointed um, with just kind of... Uh, even the more academic approach to this uh, is is not super creative. There's a few things, um, but man, I, I think there's a lot of work to be done here um, to kind of recapture some of these things in in a really helpful way. Um, you know, I, I there's very um, some very practical books on like you as an individual seeing your business as a way to leverage for the mission of God. But I'm, we're talking really even more specifically about the church and local churches leveraging business as mission as well. It's not just uh, individuals doing that. That's a good thing. We, we're for that. Uh, especially if you're a Christian business owner, um, you, you should see your business as um, your, 
your um, participation in the mission field. Um, but, you know, we're talking even more specifically here about local churches also leveraging business because that's what we've done in, in two of the three of our of our local environments. And so, um, yeah, I just want to talk a little bit about that now, just what, in the context of kind of our local environment here. Um, uh, Nick, you and, and Chris came to Norfolk, and uh, we had uh, Chris, who runs uh, Coalescence Coffee Company here, um, running Coaster for uh, almost mm-hmm. two years before yeah. y'all came and started this. And we discovered um, it took some time as we were kind of working out what does this, what does church planting together look like. Um, so let's just talk a little bit about that of kind of how we've landed where we are um, with the roots that we have now, the understanding that we have now. Um, uh, yeah. So what? When you came to Norfolk, I want to plant in Norfolk. Um, you actually were like, "Well, we want to start a coffee shop and plant in Norfolk." So, kind of talk a little bit of, of of that out with us and what was going through your mind and heart there. Yeah. So, going back to my seminary days, I was living in a basement of a, a local pastor right across the street from the seminary, and um, so so. So when I was in seminary, right, if you go back to kind of my opening story there, I I wasn't looking to become a leader. I wasn't necessarily looking to open a a coffee shop or things like that. All of that was way beyond even the possibility of of who I thought I was in in, in the Lord and what I was capable of. But I had started playing around with the idea of, well, I knew one thing. I I wasn't going to fit in most churches because I grew up, you know, living the thug life, basically. And uh, Lynchburg being kind of (laughs) like... my first experience of, of, of significant Christian culture. I was like, I love the, I loved my experience at Liberty. I love the people there. I have nothing bad to say about it, but you know, it was, it's different. Yeah. <laughs> it's a little bit of a bubble. It's yeah, a bubble. I'm like, Can't be. so kind of like the, the, they try to point you towards the Baptist red carpet type. And I'm like, yeah, I'm not, that this is not for me. You mm-hmm. know, it, it's, it's a wonderful thing, but not how I was going to get down. So I started playing with this idea and sort of just talking out loud, like, okay, what would it look like to do something uh, like what, what, what I got saved into and, and, and to leverage a lot of my business. Uh, so I was up in Manhattan learning business systems and had this business background and possibly a, a business acumen. Um, and so in that basement, uh, those pastors, uh, they were supporting uh, Chris and Jenny, who were overseas running a coffee shop in Germany, and they had come back to the to the U.S. for a couple weeks uh, visiting donors and things, and they were like, you guys have to meet. So we had dinner one night, and uh, it was me. I wasn't even married at the time, me and Chris and Jenny, and we talked and had dinner. and was like, oh, my gosh, this is like – it felt like the two of us had – uh, you know, separate halves of the full idea hmm. and, and the capabilities, the business plus the, this kind of thing. So we started talking. That was, that was a long time ago. That was eight years ago, maybe. Hmm. Um, and so they went back to Germany for a little bit, kind of wrapped up that phase of their life. I finished seminary, got married. Um, and then we started just talking about it long distance. What does it look like? What does it look like? And then it was just a couple leaps of faith. Brianna and I said, uh, we're going to go to Norfolk. That's where we don't know a ton about it. We don't know this. I, I looked to see if there were any coffee shop uh, owned by churches in the area, and there wasn't at the time. <laughs> and um, mm-hmm. and uh, I said, I don't know. This is just there was a diversity there. There was a lot of things that attracted us to it sort of demographically. And we said, okay, Brianna, we're, we're going to move there. And, and we did that. And then they were like, all right, we're coming back to the States, and you guys move there. We're going to move there. So um, that's when things got really sketchy and, uh, we're really thankful to the multiply family and coaster because coaster, uh, gave Chris, uh, 
a job working there while we kind of got to sort things out. I think, you know, another, another kind of thread we could unravel here is um, having a job that's sympathetic to, mm-hmm. uh, to religious or even non-religious kind of larger purposes of life, super helpful, right? That's what Coaster offered in a lot of ways, um, that empathy, that sympathy. And so, uh, yeah, started forming the idea. And then we were looking for a place, looking for a place. It was really expensive. This was uh, two, three years ago. And honestly, we, we were ready to give up a few times. And, and talking with Aaron, um, he was like, you know, we have this idea for Multiply, and we just believe in you guys and want to support you guys. And um, we're behind you, you know. So that that's what gave us the strength to um, kind of pull the trigger uh, on this building and then the rehab process that started and, and we were able to, Chris was still working at Coaster. I was working at ICM and, uh, you know, we were able to take it from there. So a, a lot of, uh, it is, is the businesses that you guys had started and the systems and things there that gave us a platform to leap from, uh, and to create this space. Yeah. So we had, um, I think similar, ideas and similar approach like you said Chris and Jenny Brooks were working at a coffee shop in Germany um, and kind of leveraging that in that context and like I said I came back here in 2012 saying man why can't this kind of thing happen in the U.S. it turns out it was happening just maybe not as prominently and then um, you know as you guys and the timing of it worked out where 2016 uh, we set out to start coaster coffee and um we didn't know what we were doing we just were like um we need a place for people to gather and connect with one another and in the whole drive behind it though was the whole idea of platform right like we need to create a platform and i don't mean a platform for um getting christian rights and all this kind of, i don't mean that i literally mean a community platform a place where people can connect with one another um originally it was like uh, yeah we're gonna start this coffee shop we're gonna make some money it's gonna be able to fund uh mission projects and things <laughs> going on in the community turns out um you don't start a coffee shop to make money Mm-mm. um not Amen. even close <laughs> not even close unless you got a really great donor base um but even then um eventually the money that you're trying to make uh, doesn't happen and it runs out. So you need your donor base to fund yeah. the actual operations. Well, but that, see, that platform idea that you're talking about is exactly that, that worked, right? Because this, the story of how, so I'm living downtown with my wife and we're like, we're, we're not taking that leap of faith. We're kind of wallowing a little bit and not knowing how to get started and to make that jump. And um, a news article comes across my Facebook or, or, or what have you, and it's, um, it's an article about how a church that I'd never heard of opened a coffee shop in Norfolk, and I was mad because, <laughs> right, I'd, we'd, we'd probably been living here 18 months maybe at that point. With That's why we moved here. Like, is a big deal. For, Dragging your feet, man. From Germany, <laughs> from New Jersey. And I was like, I would, so I wallowed for a little bit, and then... I'm like, you know what, I'm going to go over there and just, I don't know. I don't know what my, so, so I, it happens to be, uh, you know, at ICM up in Hampton, I a lot of times drive up Tidewater. So I, I, well, I didn't at the time, but I started to taking that route and I would go in every morning and I just, I liked the place, uh, kind of stuck on me. So my routine, even to this day, most mornings is to go to Coaster for some coffee. I met the manager at the time, got to know her, just building relationship, not around her evangelizing me and just just got to know her and you guys were actually in India. I think it was one of your, 
one of your early trips to India. And she's like, you know, considering what you do, uh, I think you'd be really, you might be interested to meet these guys. And that's how the connection started, right? And mm, yeah. I start learning about Ovi Church, and I learn, okay, they're not actually competitors. They didn't, they didn't steal my idea that I didn't tell anyone about. Um, uh, and there, and you know, the partnership kind of. So, had Coaster not existed, like this, this whole, you know, our partnership, this whole family between us may have never happened, right? Yeah. So, no, that's 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 super. That's that's great, man. Um, I think. Uh, it, it, again, back to the platform thing. Um, thinking about the international context. Um, and just the the space that is created to learn the culture, as it were. Um, I'll say learn the language, um, learn the needs and the gospel opportunities in a culture um, is another reason for starting these kind of businesses. Um, because uh, while we know English and that's our primary language, of course, in, in our city. Um, when I say language, I'm not talking necessarily about that. I'm talking more about like, what is the, uh, what is the, the ethos of, of the culture? Like what is, what is the, what, what drives them? What, um, what excites them? What, uh, what are, again, what are their needs that could be met mm-hmm. by mm-hmm. fellow Christians? Uh, we, the coffee shop may not have a ton of money to go out and just fund things, but I know some people in the church that might be able to do that, um, to be able to help out with this, uh, this agency that needs, um, you know, some orphan care or, uh, some funding for, um, even what I would consider silly things like, dog parks and and stuff like that, you know, but they're community things that people like to get passionate about. So what we found, I know at Coaster was that, um, where the intent may have been, man, we could fund some stuff. It, it shifted towards, well, we, we got a, a pretty good size platform almost right away. And by that, I mean, actual social media platform. Like we had a couple thousand followers pretty quickly. I know you guys did as well. And so when people would come and say, hey, we want to we uh, advertise our thing, whatever it was, um, we now had uh, an audience for people uh, very, very locally based, you know, in that northern section of the city up there to say, you know, we don't have, we're not going to be able to give you any money um, for your Little League team, for instance, but we can put it on our social media page and see what happens. And so now all of a sudden, uh, what may have been a couple hundred dollars from Coaster Coffee may have turned into several hundred dollars from uh, a social media post that is able to generate some um, funding, yes, but also awareness to different things that uh, I'll say that we align with or that kind of um, run through the right approval process, you know, of, of things that we would want to champion alongside others in our community. There's so much more that comes from business as mission than just money. And I think that's what we're coming back to time yeah. and time again, yeah. that the influence, the culture building, the, the, the neighboring well, the um, inviting people into your space and being invited into other spaces. Um, those relationships are huge. And a lot of the times, if we do go back to the individual, a lot of the times... If you're just an employee punching the clock, you don't have a lot of freedom to be able to do that. And we had already mentioned the freedom that comes with being able to be with an empathetic organization or as a person who's, um, who's holistic um, efforts of, of gathering their, their, 
their profession, their vocation, their passion, and their mission in life into one arena and saying, hey, we could meet needs for others, we could meet needs for ourselves, and we could develop this culture. That's exactly what our goal is. It's not just to get successful and be good stewards of our money, but of everything in life. And to be rich means to have a lot of money. To be wealthy means to have freedom. And, and influence. I, and influence. And I, would, I would much rather be wealthy with, with the freedom of, to be able to determine, hey, what do I need to do today? What's most important? Not just urgent, but what's most important and what can I give my time to today? Um, and then being able to make those decisions myself. I would rather have that and have all my needs taken care of uh, for the most part throughout the rest of my life than just be given a huge sum of money and saying, hey, you still got to keep punching the clock and working, working the hours and doing the things that you don't feel called to. Um, so that's my goal. That would be my goal for other leaders, for other business owners and uh, other people who are looking to get into that. Find the freedom so that you can be on mission in even more intentional ways that you can set out yourself. That's one thing that David Platt was talking about. I think in 2015, he met with the IMB, the International Mission Board, and he was the president then. And he said, we're going to increase the number of missionaries sent across the world um, by a lot. And they're like, how in the world are we going to increase our missionaries to go from 3,500 or 4,500 to like 15,000? And it's by deploying businessmen and businesswomen. Um, if you're a doctor, if you're a, um, a rickshaw driver, if you're a instructor, a, a student, a retiree, Platt said, we're, we're talking about limitless possibilities that God has providentially arranged for his people to go around the world with the gospel and uh, identify those things. As we're talking internationally, I remember a story from my time in seminary from our president, uh, Danny Aiken. He was sharing a story one time about how he went to this village in their context. It would not have been helpful to, to give them a, an espresso machine, right? And say, hey, now start your own coffee shop. They didn't grow coffee there. Um, and they didn't have any milk or anything else. And so uh, what they did, they realized, hey, they could really benefit from having a goat. And so they got them instead of just one goat, they got them two goats. And now the son was able to milk the goats and go sell the milk. And so they're able to make money off of the goats. Not only are they able to do that, they can have the goats reproduce. And now you've got how many more goats in five years? And now you've got a herd or whatever you call a, a is it a passel? Is it a herd of goat? Um, <laughs> no. So, so um, these, are, these are reproducing, self-sustaining, viable businesses that are run by people on mission. And I would love for you to share your story about the coffee um, seminary, <laughs> the coffee seminary. Yeah. I, so I, my kind of nine to five job is at, uh, an organization called ICM, ICM.org over in Hampton. We work in on the ground in about a hundred countries. And over the last five years, I've had the amazing opportunity to travel to a lot of those countries and this, the business has missions, philosophy, education, training, 
uh, ethos is spreading all around the world. And it, it's, it's really fun to see. It's, it's actually, it's happening in two ways. The one way I think that we've alluded to already is this like uh, sending missionary, frontline missionary uh, way. Like, okay, you're an American and you feel like you're supposed to be in Istanbul. And so, um, but it's, it's hard to go from an English speaking Westerner in America to Istanbul and reach people. So setting up a business gives you a chance to interact with people, learn about commerce, learn about culture, learn about the language, et cetera, et cetera. The other way that it's being used and the way that we, uh, supported at ICM is working through indigenous organizations. And so at ICM, we call ourselves the global church developer. And when we, we say developer, we mean kind of like a real estate developer where, we bring together any resources that we can find around the world, bring them to the local church so that that local church can be the best expression of God's original purposes, God's mission, uh, that it can be in that particular context, in that language, et cetera. And, and in some places, the, the amount of entrepreneurship, the amount of um, creativity that, that, that has erupted, sometimes out of significant challenges, has been fascinating. One of our partners... Um, there that, that I've got to spend a lot of time with is this uh, Mai Thai coffee, M-A-I, Thai, T-H-A-I, coffee. And uh, it was actually started by uh, an American missionary, but he's been there for, I think, 38 years at this point. So wow. speaks fluent Thai. He's like, he's like my size, 6'5 he kind of guy. So it's, it's kind of funny when people hear him speak Thai like a native. But um, uh, so, so what he does is he, he has a Bible school there in um, – in, in kind of a city area, sort of. And um, so students will come in. He's in like the northern part of Thailand. And what he does is he recruits a lot of students to the Bible college from what's called the Golden Triangle. There's a few Golden Triangles in the world. This is not a good Golden Triangle. Um, this is where China, Laos, and Thailand meet in its northernmost part of Thailand. And it's where most of uh, the methamphetamine and opium the products that are used in the Western world come from that small region. Mm. And the, the, the poppy cultivation in that area has been devastating to the population, a lot mm. of orphans, all this kind of stuff, right? Um, Again, so one culture being, yep. being predicated in this area. And uh, now we're getting to the part of the story where we get to see another kind of culture push that one back. Yeah, exactly. So, so coffee is actually not indigenous to Thailand, from what I understand. But a long time ago, there the king of Thailand, Thailand still has kings, a monarchy, um, some kind of monarchy. He uh, introduced coffee as a competition crop to opium, to the opiate plants, uh, the poppy plants, I guess, to try to you know, see some cultural change there. And he, so he ran into one of these and nobody really knew what to do with it. They cut it down. Long story short, now like right next to his, um, this Bible college is a, well, he's got one of those huge machines that cleans coffee, like takes the cherry off of it and dries it. he's got like a warehouse there. He's got um, a nursery, a huge nursery. And, and so what happens is when you come there to, to start seminary, Bible college, uh, a, a coffee plant takes, I think it's uh, two years before you can actually use the fruit of it. And so the nursery, when you get there, they, they're, they're planting uh, these new uh, coffee plants in the kind of the nursery form. When you finish uh, Bible college two or three years later, you can take some of these plants with you. And then the, the people are sent as church planters back to this golden triangle area, which is 
it's mountainous, it's jungle, it's, 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 uh, you know, it's, it's a tough landscape. And one of the first things that these missionary couples or, or, or church planters do is they start planting a little coffee farm. And almost immediately, because the coffee plant is ready to produce fruit, uh, the coffee plants, they're able to hire one or two people in the local village to help them you know, cultivate, and then they bring it down for processing and get to sell it and make money, et cetera, et cetera. And, and the impact that that has, being a financial economic contributor like at first in that village just has a massive impact in so many different ways, right? It's you're bringing, you're bringing commerce, you're bringing money, you're bringing healthcare. It's an opportunity to treat your employees really, really well. You're bringing ideas of, of capitalism, right? And, and these kinds of things to these villages. And it has this unbelievably uh, transformative effect on the community, whether um, sort of the outside of just like the growth of a church, for instance, unbelievable that, that that's just one example i i spent quite a bit of time on um the syrian border during the syrian conflict and uh, a lot of people think the syrian conflict is sort of over we don't talk about it very much anymore but most of the refugees millions that left syria are still living in uh, places like jordan in the north and uh, places like lebanon do it having dev- devastating effects on the economy and, and, and the human conditions, right? The only people really that I've seen, uh, well, there a lot of the organizations that are helping there are religious organizations, either Muslim or Christian. And one of the issues that, uh, because the, the effects of the conflict have raged for so long, and we're still talking about millions of people, plus, by the way, the Palestinian conflict has resulted in, in countless refugees that are still living in Lebanon, right? This is why Lebanon's a failed state right now. Uh, most people don't realize the impact of the refugees that they've had there um, as a draw on the economy. So, so the the Christian organizations that ICM works with there, we've been able to to work with them to see them turn into more sustainable business practices that allow them to continue to feed and minister to these people long term. So, for instance, one of the places I visited not too long ago was initially um, eggs were given from like. Uh, FEMA type NATO type organizations and you give people the eggs and they cook them with rice or what have you but I mean the money you would need to keep feeding millions of people for years Mm -hmm. on end so they started um, cultivating chickens instead and built like I I got to walk through this gigantic chicken coop in one of the mountains above the refugee camps and the, the refugees get to go work in this chicken farm and, and produce the eggs and work towards it, and they get a great sense of fulfillment from it. They get to make some money. Then they take the chickens and they give it to the people still living in the camps and because it's like a, a makeshift home now, and it's their job to take care of the chicken. The chicken then produces the eggs. The program keeps growing as more chickens are birthed so that more people have a sustainable way of growing food. Plus, they can now take the eggs and go sell them at the market, right. and they get to make a little bit of money, and it keeps growing and growing and growing and growing and growing, and now in Instead of constantly having to find funds from donors, they have a business that is sustaining this effort and allowing for all the people, you know, mm-hmm. to, to work there and for amazing things to happen. Mm-hmm. So, I, it's just a powerful, powerful, you know, transformative uh, tool that the world is using. I have hundreds of examples. I yeah, could yeah. Have, but Praise God. Well, I think um, w- one of the, uh, I guess, um, I don't know, one of the, one of the ideas that really um, reached out to me when I was in seminary um, studying all this stuff in international mission, you think about business as mission. Um, 
I, uh, I was exposed to what I think was a fairly new term at the time called microfinance. And, um, and that was like, I was a business finance major, so it, it was like, wow, okay, that's <laughs> yeah. interesting. Yeah. And and what I learned was it was essentially people in those kind of contexts that would, um, uh, somebody might buy them, like you said, uh, a couple of goats. and But they would take those goats on loan, and they would eventually pay back the the loan on the on the two goats in, in Aiken's example right um, by the milk that they would sell or whatever and um, and they they pay back the loan and end up then creating a sustainable business like you're talking about in a larger form Nick and um, and that that just I was like man how do we how do we help that because it was mostly in very poor um, mm-hmm. environments um, where you're trying to help people out of poverty, not just by giving them a handout, but by actually teaching them a trade and teaching them business, teaching them how to do this. And of course, if it's a Christian microfinance company, then the gospel is all kind of in- infiltrated in that. And so you're you're teaching them the why behind the what along the way as you're teaching them the skill in the business. And um, I just think it's worth mentioning microfinance here because I think that's kind of what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it is a it is something out there that if you're interested as a listener, um, go look uh, up some of these companies. I mean, Kiva is probably the the top Christian one that I can think of. Do you, or do you know of any others off the top of your head? Yeah, One Hope is One a Hope. is a big okay. one. Esperanza uh, is another one that we've worked with down in um, uh, the Dominican Republic and Haiti. Uh, yeah, absolutely. These these tiny tiny loans that in uh, ver- that's micro is true. micro like it is yep. literally a very very small loan oh yeah um but it, it can lead to transformative uh, uh business pops possibilities for some yeah at icm we have a video on our website of uh one of these kind of happening getting a micro loan uh and i'm talking it could be 30 dollars. yeah uh, which doesn't sound like much to us but can be the seed that's sown for somebody to buy a goat or chickens or a fruit stand or something like this that can then grow and grow and grow. And what a lot of organizations like like One Hope and uh, Esperanza, um, what they do is they 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 provide uh, base, a business education that goes along with the loan. Mm. And some of them have an outstanding repayment rate, like 95, 97% yeah. of the loans getting repaid. Yeah. And and they're teaching a lot of the basic principles and rhythms of like being a follower of Jesus that uh, helps them along the way to, to be a little more accountable and, and things like that. It's, it's wonderful. Yeah, yeah, it is. Seed Effect is another one. Uh, and Seed to Oaks out in Louisville. I think Sojourn did some stuff with Seed to Oaks, uh, established one called Seed to Oaks out in Louisville. So, um, yeah, I, I think uh, it, it's um, just a, a way to um, <laughs> give people, once again, a little glimpse of glory, a little glimpse of Eden, as it were, and to, uh, uh, to show people a little bit of hope, not in the in the money or in the business, but um, once you have dignity with employment and um, uh, contribution to culture and society, um, you can, in a better way or in a more uh, full kind of way, understand the Imago Dei and your own purpose and your own meaning and your own reason for being here, you're in a better place to actually receive the gospel at that point to understand, oh, this is why I'm here, right? Mm-hmm. And so it opens up the, um, the, the, the uh, 
soil, as it were, mm-hmm. um, aer- aerates the soil a little bit in a way that's uh, understanding the gospel a little bit better. So um, maybe let's talk about, before we end here, some of the dangers of business admission. Um, you know, I wrote a couple things down here, more just kind of um, uh, brainstorming a little bit. Uh, obviously, I'm so for it, and because I'm so for it, it's hard to see some of the dangers, but I've actually experienced a lot of the, some of the dangers here. And I think the, the biggest one that um, I know, Nick, you can talk about as well as with, with coalescence is that the business, if you're a, if you're a church coming together to establish a business, or even if you're a Christian coming together to uh, establish a business in some kind of way, um, it is very possible that that business itself can distract from mission if you're not careful. Um, how did you guys experience that? And I'll talk a little bit about me as well. Well, I, I think there's a tendency uh, sometimes when you're just starting a business to underestimate the amount of complexity that might be involved, especially in opening a business in like an urban area in 2022, right? The, the permits, the taxes, the, the, the contracts, the leases, the the legality of it all, uh, managing people, it, it's a lot of work. And um, I think, uh, like in our case, I think what we did was like, okay, we're going to make enough money pretty quickly based on these budgets that we made that are, um, are going to allow us to hire X amount of people and therefore we won't have to have a tension between focusing on the church and then sort of separately focusing on the success of the business. And like you mentioned, uh, if, if that's true, it's not true of coffee for sure. Uh, there, we, we, it's almost impossible to make money, I think, with one coffee shop uh, in a lot of ways. And so, um, so you, yeah, you, you know, you, you, the tendency is to not let the, the business die, of course, right? You kind of have to um, uh, triage and, and, and make it work. And, uh, work a lot of hours and put a lot of energy into that. And, and yeah, that I think for us, without a doubt, it sort of uh, sucked up some of the energy and resources and people uh, making that work uh, that could have gone to um, more church planning efforts and spiritual development type stuff. Um, even community outreach, to be honest, like, mm. you know. Um, I feel like you don't have the energy to expend on that. Yeah, sometimes. after making the day-to-day business operations, like, I mean, we have a couple uh, of events, like the platform type stuff, a gaming group that meets here, uh, you know, a, a writing group that we help with. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's really hard in a new business Uh to be able to focus on multiple things like separately at once. And, and that's a hard lesson that we're learning and we're still working on. You can't throw the baby out with the bathwater at the same time though. There's still a lot of good happening within the business's mission model within starting sure. new businesses. Yeah, absolutely. Would you, would you rather give a um, hundred thousand dollars to a village overseas um, so that they can take the gospel out? Or would you rather give them a $100,000 grant or loan for them to start a business? Um, I, I think the metaphor is you could give somebody a bag of flour and you could give them a bucket of water and they might be able to live for a few days um, eating, drinking that, that sustenance. If you teach them how to turn that into bread, add a little uh, air to the mixture, you're going to be able to feed generations. And I think that's the goal. 
that's that's the ma major benefit here. We can always talk about, man, I wish that time, you know, you can't get that time back. I've got some friends that are that, that might, you know, uh, they wouldn't vilify businesses missions. Um, but I think what we would vilify is not losing sight. Like what are our habits as we're going about this? Are we staying aware of where our time is going, where our money's going and just recognizing this, the whole goal here is lifelong holistic, uh, relationship with everybody I'm working with and community with, and, and this is my life. And so as I start this company or as I'm working with this company, I'm not doing this just to get a paycheck so that I can go home and hang out with other people. Um, business as mission is a, is a holistic lifelong calling. Yeah. Um, for us, uh, when we established coaster, I would say, and this, I'm not trying to be dramatic by saying this, but I would say that we, we probably could have planted our first church two years earlier if we would have not started the coffee shop. There's always mm -hmm. an opportunity cost. Right. What's, what's the next best thing that we missed out on because yeah. we chose to do yeah. and option and, and A, and not option B? Right, and that's the point, is yeah. that this this is one of the dangers. Like, yep. if you're going to consider this, then consider the fact that it, it can distract from the mission of God. Now, I'm not saying that we shouldn't have done the coffee shop, right. um, but I am saying that I didn't account for the fact that this could have... Um, uh, th this is going to cause a, a pretty heavy distraction for some yeah. time, you know? Yeah. Um, and it did. I, and I also think, and if I'm being honest too, even within our church, um, it wasn't just about the planting of the church. It was also like the no, now we're not talking as much about um, bringing your neighbors into your homes or inviting people over to small group or to, um, you know, a front yard party or whatever. But now we're saying, go to the coffee shop, go to the coffee shop, go to the coffee shop. Oh, yeah. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. And so you've shifted the, the space of mm -hmm. gathering from home to a third space or other place outside of the home. And now it's like, oh, is that, you, you, get, you get what I'm saying. Oh, right? yeah. there's, there's a tension there that you have to yeah. manage for sure. The, the best scenario is that the coffee shop becomes a filter for the even more intimate spaces. Right. Right, exactly. It has to or be a more funnel, not a filter. Sorry. Full, yeah, and it has to be more of a social space at the yeah. coffee shop that, yeah, like you're saying, leads to a more intimate or personal space. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think people is just a hard thing too in this. Right. If we're talking about dangers of business, business as mission, like the people leading in the business getting off mission is is dangerous. And if you've got, you have to have the senior leadership of. Um, in our case, coffee shops, but of whatever business it is, the senior leadership has to just be all about the mission and vision and direction of where that place is going, why it's there, and instilling that all the time in its managers. Um, and when the managers get off base or they just start to lose track of what they're supposed to do, or even the, the employees um, on the ground level themselves, um, you got to remind, remind, remind. And if they just keep forgetting, um, I'm sorry, but it's, it's time to go. You know, and that that mission focus of why we're here, why we're doing what we're doing uh, is incredibly important, even though some of the folks that are a part of the business itself might not know Christ, might not know um, 
the uh, the mission of God per se and why uh, they're contributing to this thing, they at least know and, and can champion the community aspect of things yeah. and the, um, um, the 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 people component and loving people. Um, you could teach anybody to love people. Um, and it's just that that senior leadership, what I mean by that is like the board in our case, right? Mm-hmm. If you're establishing a nonprofit, um, the board or the person that's overseeing the manager has got to be constantly reminding of the mission because it mission drift is very easy, um, mm-hmm. and possible, um, and hard to recover from. Yeah. The, the good, the good news, I think the reminder that I'm reminding myself of now is that going back to a, a lot of our conversation has been around like the, uh, the, the benefits of doing something like this that are outside of like church growth necessarily. And so, it, it, the reminder I think that you have to have for yourself is that we're fighting for things, this very tangible expression of creating that little piece of heaven, right? That creating and maintaining a space where people are welcomed, belong, accepted, where they're safe, where there's community without any kind of, um, you know, request from them. Or, like that's, it's just a hard, it's always going to be a hard thing to do. But that's sort of that's inherent in in, in creating those physical, tangible yeah. um, parts of the kingdom. You know. Yeah, we can't. We got to be careful too, not to call businesses mission evangelism. It's it's beyond evangelism. It's something greater than that. Businesses mission. It inhabits every aspect of the mission of God, not just evangelism. Right. And I think that's where business's mission might get a bad rap in some circles like, well, you're spending a lot of time and money on something that's not advancing the gospel specifically. Well, you know, I prefer to go to work for myself and have the freedom to do this and help other people with that. And, um, you have to go to work too. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and so we want to make sure that business's mission incorporates everything. And, and we're able to see it way beyond just the evangelistic efforts. And, and when you do it, when you do that, you, you gain uh, some attention and influence for very different reasons. Because now, if you're, if you've, as we have, uh, both of our businesses have for a while now, been on the ground for a while, actually proving that Christians can love their neighbors even though they don't, agree with everything that that you um, believe, um, we can actually love our neighbors in that environment. Um, and we've proven that we can do that. And we've proven that we're not going to discriminate against you. And we've proven that we're going to create a space um, for you to gather and, and participate in, in, in this community. Um, that that creates another level of influence that is so helpful for um, the city to know that they that you are a trusted space or a local business association to to meet and gather in um, because um, you know we're not we're, we're not those um, kind of browbeaten Christians with you know scripture on every coffee cup and uh, you know and I'm not I'm not maybe that works somewhere, but it doesn't work here, I guess Mm -hmm. is what I'm trying to say, you know, like that, this place would not be functioning right now. If you went, if you came out with that kind of cheesy suburban vibe like that, does that make sense? It would be burned to the ground. probably. (laughs) What what if I got an idea? 
What if we had Jeremiah twenty nine eleven on a rocks glass, not Boy, a coffee? I glass. would burn it to the ground. <laughs> okay, all right, that too. All right, fine. Uh, yeah, and that's. I, I think that's one of the things. Um, the pitfalls, sort of, is is. Uh, I so I had this idea um, that well, this the hospital thing especially was in my mind. Like you know, even people who hate Christians or hate uh, religion or institutionalized religion. Um, they still go to the hospital when their leg is broken, right? And so I thought surely people will understand that even though Coalescence is owned by a, a church entity, that um, everyone wants the good things of the kingdom, right? I, I think uh, even if they don't want the king, they still want the kingdom, right? They want the atmosphere and the creativity and the and the excellence and the safe place and all that. I was wrong. That was wrong. Mm. Like just dead wrong. Mm. Like people, there are some people who are going to hate just because it's owned by a church, affiliated with a church. Uh, some people are going to hate that and hate the business. And I think that's just something that, like even somebody's going to listen, it would might listen to this podcast. And even though all the the work that we've done to explain about all these other benefits and, and these kind of things, some people are still going to just be like, no, that that place isn't for me. And and you know that's just kind of something you got to take into account as well. Yeah. That's good. Well, um, I, I think one question that probably could take another hour, but um, we need to uh, uh, talk about very briefly here is this. Is business as mission necessary for the future of church planting? What do you guys think? Is business as mission a, a necessary function of the future church? I'll even add a little layer to that to just say like, you know, even established churches moving forward into um, a, a growingly secular culture. Is business as mission necessary? So I, I think yes. As somebody, you know, part of my job is to communicate with a lot of church planners um, and pastors. It's, it's, I recommend it to everyone. I, 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 I'm, I'm struggling to think of somewhere, someplace around the world or some context where I haven't you know, recommended it because of all the benefits that we talked about. Again, the, I think in America and the West, uh, the trends are such that that we don't we just don't know what's going to happen. You know, the the greatest uh, generational transformation of wealth the world has ever seen by a factor of like ten thousand is occurring right now, and that wealth is being transferred to people mm. who do not have. Uh, necessarily the the understanding, the desire to tithe or even to give to, uh, to to nonprofit organizations, right, or NGOs. So if if I'm if I'm you know if I'm talking to an 18 year old or, or a seminary student and they're considering the avenue, my over and over and over again is going to be businesses missions, businesses missions, businesses missions, businesses missions. Um, because I, one of the other things, if you can establish a business, if you can be part of a business, it gives you a certain freedom. That we that we may not have uh, in the future. I, I don't think we'll have in the future. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I agree. I see our work in India from the first trip. Um, I see the work in Mexico right now, and from a lot of my mentors, just saying it's best if the indigenous people can support themselves financially, and that there's not always a stream of money flowing from the Americas. Yeah. Um, why? Do we want to help them? Do we want to give to them? Absolutely. But what's even greater, what's healthier, is that they would find um, self-sustaining ways 
to, to care for themselves and to fund the mission that they have and, and need to um, achieve in their context and their community. And they can, they can figure it out just as, as good as we can, uh, but we can help them do that and we can, we can help them get started. I think as well, Nick, that's very keen observation of the very near future. I think giving is just going to continue to drastically decline. We see the numbers of the churches closing. We see the numbers of the pews right now. Um, and yet we, we still see an increase in Christians. And so I think finding other creative ways, it's going to be necessary to help the mission go on. All of that said, with hearing the naysayer in the back of my mind right now, not me, but somebody out there, right? That guy, air quotes, who's going to be listening and saying, no, it's only through the Holy Spirit. Absolutely. No doubt. But we can definitely do our part. And uh, Jesus even commands us in the New Testament, be a good steward, multiply um, your profits, and be successful. Yeah. Amen. And I think just to my only contribution to this last part would just be if you are an established church or in a part of an established church and your building in a city is sitting empty for, you know, six days out of the week, you ain't doing something right. Oh yes. Um, Amen. you're, you're stealing space from the community mm. at that point. That's good. Um, and I feel very strongly about that clearly. <laughs> yeah. I like um, that. So I think it's important to, um, be thinking creatively. What, how can we be a community center? How can we be a community hub? How can we be a school, a daycare, a, some place to, influence and impact the community in a greater way than an empty building for goodness sake. Yeah. <laughs> Hallelujah. Right. right. <laughs> That's, yeah, absolutely right. Amen. So let's stat that, John. What we got? We got 3.2 billion people in the world without the gospel today. And less than 1% of giving goes to the missions uh, to the unreached. So I think... Uh, it's really interesting to see how the topic today fits within the bigger picture of Christendom right now. Not a lot of giving is even going to these people. We can, we can say these, um, you know, conceptualized uh, statements. What if we gave this much money? I, I, I wish that much money was going. The reality is it's not, and we need to help these people uh, create their own. Yeah. Yeah. And leveraging business to do that, I think is, is a way to do it and to, um, and teach generosity within that business as well. One of the other ways people can do it is by giving to multiply. We can reverse that trend by giving to organizations, uh, like multiply who are trying to, uh, spread information about business as missions. One of the primary roles of multiply is to equip our family of churches with the resources they need to multiply disciples, leaders, and new churches. New churches are led by planters and teams who are prepared in our pathways to planting with the Times 12 Church Planning Network. You can uh, see more about that at times12.org. That's 12, the numbers, one, two. Leaders are developed using our newly released leader pathway. Disciples who want to grow as disciples of Jesus can access our disciple-making toolbox at multiplythechurch.com and begin their journey. 
But don't go at it alone, whether you are just starting or excited about growing as a disciple. Remember, discipleship is one-on-one or one-on-a-few at its core. That's what Jesus did, and and that's what we seek to do. So check out multiplythechurch.com forward slash resources and begin your path to multiply today. So business as mission, is it necessary for the future of church planting? We say yes, but we also say business as mission is not church planting. The two are separate. Yeah. Um, That said, where can people go, gentlemen, to find out more resources on business as mission? Um, well, yeah, the, some of the good news is there, there are organizations fo- focusing on this specifically. Uh, in my travels, I've seen a couple um, really good ones. One is uh, Praxis, Praxis Labs. Uh, this was birthed out of the redemptive entrepreneurship ideas of Tim Keller up in New York City. And uh, you can check out praxislabs.org to learn more about that. They've got a cohort. They've got a program, an education program on business and and kind of the overall uh, biblical theology of it all. Really, really great stuff. Um, At ICM, a lot of our uh, major donors and contributors and influencers and board members are part of an organization called C12. And I think they're seeing a bit of a revival. This is a, a guild, a cohort of uh, just Christian businessmen and women, uh, mostly CEO, uh, officer, executive level, getting together and figuring out how they can be a part of what we're talking about today. Uh, you can check them out at joinc12.com. Um, and there's probably, wherever you are in America, at least, there's almost definitely a local chapter that you can join. And just mentorship, so much good stuff there. Highly recommend it. Um, I would point everyone back to uh, the F.F. Bruce book, uh, Apostle of the Heart Set Free, written uh, in 2000. I think, uh, you know, one of the best first places to learn, uh, learn from Jesus, learn from Paul, kind of how they uh, leveraged business. And and that's probably where I would start. Another book that's been really uh, meaningful to me in understanding our purpose here and the purpose of mission is... um, the Unseen Realm by uh, mm-hmm. Dr. Michael Heiser and his work in biblical theology and the overarching kind of meta narrative of scripture and, and God has just, I, I think that's probably the best place to start to understand uh, how, how Aaron defined mission and those purposes. Like that's probably where I would start. He's, he, there's a summary book of that book called Supernatural, uh, which is another really good one. Yeah, for me, um, the Missional Entrepreneur by Mark Russell, um, I think, is a just a good kind of basic understanding of uh, business as mission and seeing um, entrepreneurship as also an, a way to uh, um, participate in the mission of God. Um, we've been saying the mission of God a, a myriad of times here in this uh, uh, this podcast, and um, I think it. Like mentioning the the mission of God by Christopher J. H. Wright, or at least an abridged version of that, um, would be uh, a great approach. Or maybe maybe even an article that summarizes it, because it is a massive book. Um, but it is uh, it's really really helpful to understand the theology behind the mission of God uh, proper. Love it. Those are all really good. I've got one and um, well. To, we already mentioned the Lausanne paper on business as mission. You can find that by Googling that. Lausanne is L-A-U-S-A-N-N-E. Um, 
long work, like we said, but it, it gets you in the ballpark and it starts the discussion. Um, and the second one is the book Reading Romans in Pompeii. In Pompeii, Paul's letter at ground level, and that's by Paul Oakes. And that gives you a perspective. As we talk about working with indigenous cultures um, and, and, and co-laboring overseas or in cross-cultural contexts, this is a great way to see the word from other people's perspectives. How are they receiving uh, what Paul might have been writing in that day and age? Um, so uh, a helpful work uh, for us on mission. Well, one more quick uh, plug for a resource here is, is definitely go to ICM.org. Um, not just because uh, that's a ministry I work for and with, but um, it was started by a local very successful entrepreneur uh, and a pastor partnering together using mixing business practices with uh, Bible practices, right? Mm -hmm. And um, so go to icm.org. There's, there's a lot of actual resources, videos, audio files, things like that. There's also two books that you can get your hands on, The God Who Hung on the Cross by our founder, uh, Doyce Rosser, kind of explaining how he leveraged his entire business history uh, for the spread of the gospel towards the end of his life. ICM. Fellas, I'm proud of us. Uh, I think, maybe not, maybe I'm disgusted, but we never once mentioned Chick-fil-A in the last <laughs> oh, wow. hour and something minutes. Oh, good. Uh, good. He's so good. <laughs> it's just because you're hungry. Yeah. Me too. Yeah. yeah. Oh, man. Well, this has been good. Um, hey, once again, if you're a part of Multiply, I hope this has encouraged you just to see something broader than evangelism as mission, uh, but that there are ways that you can do mission and participate in the mission of God in, in some much greater ways. Uh, if you're a part, uh, you know, a Christian uh, experiencing the broader mission of God, I hope this has been encouraging encouraging to you. Uh, hey, if you're a business owner or considering starting a business at some point, um, might you be a missionary in doing so? Absolutely. We would say a resounding yes to that. Uh, so don't forget about our Behind the Open Doors Spotify playlist, affectionately called the Bod Pod mix right. and um, I'm gonna have to get you to contribute some some uh, listening to that all right not just podcast you have to actually put music in there what kind of music do you listen to do you listen to anything country country okay right. well I mean worship and obviously but country that's my jam okay nice. all right what well, give me one your favorite artist right now uh, Chris Stapleton oh yes Okay, you might do. I knew you were my dude. All, <laughs> All right, excellent. All right, well, Nicholas, thank you for joining us. It's been fun learning together today. Um, we're so glad you're a part of the Multiply family, and we look forward to more great conversations that lead to gospel movement together. For now, it's time to close down the podcast, but remember the doors are wide open here with the Multiply family. If you found this podcast helpful, please be sure to subscribe and leave a review. This helps us to be seen by others who may enjoy a behind-the-scenes discussion like this. As you could tell, uh, we do our research, but we also come in with a humble attitude. And um, we like to ask good questions. And if you like to continue listening, then you can also join our Facebook page, Keep in Touch, where we have further discussions about each episode. And finally, you can share this episode and others to your social media pages. You've been listening to the Behind Open Doors podcast, where we take you behind the scenes, discovering what it takes to multiply disciples, leaders, and new churches. Let the word dwell richly in you, and may God multiply your efforts for his kingdom.